0: about heidi talk to me about this christmas song the little drummer boy
1: okay so the little drummer boy it's got us a little bit of an interesting history
0: and and we should probably start out by by making sure everybody knows that you've got credentials you're you're not necessarily a little boy but you are a drummer so you're you can talk about this with authority
1: that's right i am a drummer and so I kind of picked this song because The Little Drummer Boy has been one of my favorite Christmas songs my whole life. Tell me why. I don't really know. <laughs> I, I liked the the sound of the music itself, like that, the beat is awesome. The music, um, I just love the music. And I think the story of The Little Drummer Boy, the fact that you have this little boy who has no money, has nothing to give, but he can um he can give his talent.
0: Hey, and you know, I'm planning to play some audio of the of the song Little Drummer Boy on pipes uh, as part of this episode. I'm not going to sing it though. And so oh. with no lyrics, odds are everybody's heard it, but do you have are you can you do like a 90-second version of what this song is about, what story it tells?
1: Okay, so this is the story of a little boy who Has nothing and he goes to the Christ to see the Christ child after the baby was born. And with Mary's permission, he plays um, the drums for the baby and for baby Jesus. And then the Christ child smiles at him.
0: Hey, I'm curious, Heidi, since you're a percussionist beyond just being a pipe a pipe band percussionist you've played other percussion instruments you're familiar with the pit etc what kind of drum would any loving mother allow a child to play for her newborn infant
1: um because
0: i'm guessing it wasn't a pipe band snare it could not have been a pipe band snare right
1: no no it would not be it would probably be maybe a tenor drum yeah maybe a tenor because those aren't too loud i could see a bow run oh sure yeah because those aren't very, like, harsh on the ear. No,
0: yeah, those are nice to listen to. Like, I can listen to a bar on uh, solo for sure. Like, those are those are fun to listen to for sure, all by themselves, absolutely.
1: Right? I could see a timpani.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Though though, a, little, a poor little boy probably wasn't pushing around a couple timpani, right?
1: Yeah, probably not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> those slung around his neck and just dragging him around in the dirt.
1: And if uh, this little boy came from, like, the tropical area maybe like the Bahamas I could see him playing um the steel drums
0: oh that's I love that I'm gonna go with that for my mental mental image from now on
1: yes I think that would work well
0: awesome so so give me some of the history ab- about this song where does this come from why is this
1: across? okay so this song was written by Katherine K Davis in 1941 and there's a lot of controversy as to where she got the idea. So here's the thoughts. Either uh, she translated the, the music from a Czech carol called the Carol of the Drums. Interesting. Or uh, she arranged the little drummer boy with Harry Simeon, Simone. I don't know how to say his last name. Jack right. and Henry Honorati. Or she, the story came to her and she wrote the song, um, herself while taking a nap. Okay. So it's one of those three.
0: These are all, and none of them seems uninteresting.
1: (laughs) Right? So, uh, Catherine Davis herself had been writing music since the age of 15, um, and there's another version that she got like the rhythm or she got some of the music ideas for this from the French carol, Patapan, I think is what. Oh, it's yeah,
0: called. I've heard that one.
1: Right. They're similar.
0: It is a silly song.
1: True, true. Um, so because you can hear that pod Rumpa pum pum that patapan oh, sure, yeah. thing. Um, so she wrote it in 1941. And then, and the, oh, this is kind of cool. So the Von Trapp family, the band, you know, the.
0: The real ones?
1: Yes, the real ones, not the one, you know, not the sound of music ones, but the real ones.
0: The real, real ones, yeah.
1: Yeah, so they first recorded this song. Um, and then I'm trying to remember.
0: You know, I didn't know that there were real Von Trapps until like just a year or two ago. Really? Uh, that's not the only embarrassing thing I can tell you, Heidi. That's also, another thing is semi-Christmas related because narwhals do appear in, in uh, what, in Elf for sure. Elf,
1: uh-huh.
0: They also re- I, do they also appear in the old Rankin and Bass uh, Rudolph show? I don't remember if
1: that's Uh, Maybe. Called. I don't remember, but they might.
0: Well, I didn't think, I thought narwhals were mythical creatures until mm, definitely my adult life. Like, it was my wife who told me, no, they're real. Her father um, is a, an ichthyologist, so he knows all about ocean animals. And She's like, no, narwhals are a real thing. I was like, yeah, right. They're the unicorns of the water. She's like, nope, they're real animals. So,
1: um, I, like you, thought that they were fake um, until a few years ago. Oh,
0: well, I, I'm glad to not so. be alone. So the Von Traps and narwhals were mythical creatures to both of us then. I'm not
1: the right? only one. Yeah. Um, okay, so one thing that's kind of interesting about the music it's so you know how I said um, that the little drummer boy played for the baby Jesus and the baby Jesus smiled, right?
0: Yeah.
1: So there is a French legend that says that there was a juggler. No
0: played way.
1: For um, the statue of Lady Mary and the statue of Lady Mary smiled for the juggler. Oh,
0: okay. Now that's, that, that, that story still makes me chuckle a bit, but I was imagining a juggler like uh performing for the baby Jesus
1: oh yeah I mean a statue baby Jesus they're close yeah
0: okay okay so there's a French story that there is a juggler huh who played for a statue and the statue smiled.
1: right and so they think that possibly she got the idea for the little the Christ child smiling at the drummer boy from that legend that French legend
0: I see where where was she from was she French herself
1: no nah, she's from the US oh she so
0: just had heard the story
1: um okay so sorry back to the van Trapp family yeah so they recorded it in 1955 um but they did change some of the lyrics because in one of the lyrics they used the not nice word for the word donkey how
0: those von traps they were they were always kind of an edgy group weren't they
1: no, it wasn't them. They were the ones that changed the lyrics.
0: Oh, I see, I see, I see.
1: She the wrote the original one. Word. Oh my. Yeah.
0: So they, they so it's thanks to the Von Trapps that the little drummer boy finally became a family-friendly song.
1: Yes, exactly. Okay, so then in 1957, Henry Honorati rearranged the Carol of the Drums, which is the other name of it. Which is what it was originally called. It was called the Carol of the Drums. Um, or of the Drum. And so he re- rearranged it. And then in 1958, he got his friend Harry Simeone uh, to use his orchestra or whatever.
0: Yeah, I don't know uh, who these people are, but they sound like the kind of guys who would be playing music with, like, uh, Ricky Ricardo. Is that about Yeah,
1: right? yeah Probably. So, Harry Simeone was a conductor and arranger for Newark, New Jersey, and worked on several Bing Crosby movies.
0: Okay, now this is making of sense. Do you think that to some degree the popularity of the song might be that precisely that it was kind of coming out in this, what seems to have been the golden age for modern Christmas music?
1: Yeah, probably.
0: Because so many of our classics harken back precisely to Bing, right?
1: Yeah. I would say most of our well-known Christmas songs come from that era. Yeah, interesting. Around that time. Yeah. So Harry Simeone and Henry Honorati um, rearranged the music, and that is actually what we know today. So their arrangement is what we are familiar with. So they changed it a little bit. So
0: we're familiar with their arrangement now. Does their arrangement include the Von Trapp family-friendly lyric, or is it, or do they use the original lyric? I'm afraid I don't know it well enough off the top of my head to know for sure.
1: They use the family-friendly version.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Smart choice. You want to you want to stay applicable, or uh, you want to stay appealing to to all markets?
1: Right. Yeah. See, they say the ox and lamb kept time mm-hmm. instead of the ox and donkey kept time. I see. He changed it to a lamb.
0: You know, that's, that's good copy. You know, like, I mean, the image itself, I mean, no offense to donkeys, but lambs are probably a cuter. It's probably going to sell better. That's probably a good idea.
1: Right? Okay, now this part's kind of cool, and it's very applicable to us, James. Are you ready for this? Bring it on. Okay. In 1972, the pipes and drums and military band of the Royal Scots Guard had a hit version of the carol.
0: I had no idea really
1: right I'm, yeah
0: i' I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can find a recording of it maybe we can use that in the episode.
1: So there you go. It's been played on the bagpipe since 1972.
0: Wow. I had no idea. I would have imagined that, you know, we were just kind of finagling it into bagpipe repertoire anytime we used it. Um, but, you know, that having a regimental band do it several decades ago kind of makes it, like, official and legit. Like, yeah, it's cool.
1: Yeah. I mean, we probably could compete with it. <laughs> and
0: we should. Right. We're getting ready for a new season. Let's see let's work this in there.
1: I think that would be awesome.
0: what is it? It would be a march, right? So we could uh, use this in our MSR.
1: Yeah, this would totally be a March. I think we should do it.
0: Okay. I'm I'm so game. Y'all have okay. to hear first, band. Get ready to learn this song for our next year's competition.
1: Yes. I had his hand in it.
0: I'm I'm sure I'm sure Danny, our new pipe major, I'm sure he'll be cool with that.
1: Yeah, I think he'll be fine. He probably doesn't mind us
0: changing the the competition medley on the fly like this, especially when it's for Christmas music that we'll be playing in July. That'll be perfect.
1: Right. Hey, it's okay to have Christmas in July. Absolutely. Sometimes we need it. So the most popular version that we have um, was filmed for the Bing Crosby television show in 1977, and it's a duet with David Bowie and Bing Crosby.
0: Oh, I am familiar.
1: That's it. Awesome. And then awesome. it's been done a lot by a lot of different people. It's pretty popular.
0: It ain't going away. That's for sure. Nope. It was even done by the Garden Valley Pipe Band just last Christmas. That's true. They're in Provo for the uh, what they call it? what was that thing called? Is it called candle lights or
1: candle? candle? Yeah, something candlelight. Yeah, the candlelight. I do recall I improvised that whole song. <laughs>
0: Oh, Carols by Candlelight, that's what it's called.
1: Yeah, that's
0: what it was. Yeah, were you were you doing tenor for us on that song, or were you doing snare on that song? I can't remember that. Uh, tenor. Yeah, because you didn't want to be the drummer boy.
1: Right. You were the drummer well, one. here's the truth, James. So, and I don't know if you want to put this in the thing or not, uh, but. but what you maybe don't know is why I stopped playing snare.
0: Is it because you were so tired of being called the little drummer boy?
1: Not, not at all. Um, it's because like Sean, I have dystonia in my left hand.
0: What is with this dystonia uh, just descending upon our, our band?
1: I don't know, but that, that should be good news for the rest of you. Cause if it's very rare for people to get and two of us in the band already have it, the rest of you should be safe.
0: Yeah. As the saying goes, lightning never strikes in the same place three times. Right. I gotta, I gotta give you a, uh, I'm going to give you a, uh, what do you call it? I'm going to give you a transition here. A uh, Oh, there's a word for it. A, a tie-in, a transition of kinds. Let me let me think. Okay. Um, let me think here. Okay, I got it. Now, the little drummer boy, as is implied by the title, he was short. Another thing that's yeah. short is shortbread. You familiar love- with shortbread, Heidi?
1: Oh, yeah what good scottish ancestry person doesn't know what shortbread is amen right Uh,
0: tell tell me what you love about shortbread
1: it is easy to make it tastes very good um homemade is far better than store bought by the way
0: easy to make and easy to eat that's the truth
1: that's right and there's not a ton of sugar um we have put like citrus frostings on it like a lemon or orange frosting or lime um also, what's particularly good is Nutella.
0: Oh, well, that's, I mean, honestly, I would i would eat that on horse biscuits personally.
1: I, right? I love that stuff. Yeah. Shortbread is amazing. And anybody who tells you that it takes a lot of ingredients and a lot of time to make is lying to you, and they are giving you the wrong recipe. <laughs> Unless it's from Jeff, and then it's correct.
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of which, let's, uh, let's see how Jeff's doing over in the kitchen. And see right there, we transition to Jeff talking to you from his kitchen. It's gonna be so good.
1: Perfect.
2: Hello, bagpipe friends. This is Jeff McClellan. James has asked me to talk to you through making Scottish shortbread, which I'm excited to do. I love making shortbread. Shortbread, as you may know, is a traditional Scottish treat um, dating back almost a thousand years. So this is really old bread, sort of. Really old recipe. Um, It's now famous around the world, and in fact, on January 6th is National Shortbread Day in the United States. So it's a great reason to make some shortbread. Also, good for holidays. I'll mention more of that in a minute. Um, It's super easy to make. The traditional recipe is um, one part sugar, two parts butter, and three parts flour. That's all there is just sugar, butter, flour. Um, The recipe I'm using is slightly adapted from that. It's one cup of sugar two cups of fl- of butter and four cups of flour, so a little bit more on the flour side. Um, I'll miss, also make a couple other adaptations that I'll talk through as we go along. I've already measured out all my ingredients, so that saves us some time here, but I, that took maybe 10, 15 minutes to get everything ready um, just so you can get a sense of the time on all this. So you start off with some softened butter, um, a, a pound of butter or f- two cups of butter it's four of those sticks you know those cubes um rectangle cubes that you get in the boxes so i've softened it just lightly Um, don't want it too too runny and then you add your sugar Um, traditionally you'd use white sugar Um, i like to use brown sugar i also reduce the sugar a little bit because i'm just trying to generally avoid eating quite so much sugar so i use two-thirds of a cup instead of a full cup and I think that's plenty sweet still. Um, and if you've had my um, shortbread at Scottish festivals or whenever I've brought it before, that's what I've used is two thirds of a cup of brown sugar. Um, and you pack it in. I'm having a hard time getting it out. There we go. Okay, and then you use your blender and you just mix that up um, until it's kind of uh, creamy. Um so light and fluffy and creamy. So it takes a bit of mixing. Okay, so now you've got your um, butter and your sugar all mixed together to kind of a light, creamy, um, fluffy sort of texture. Um, And at this point, you could just keep it as is. Traditionally, you would just keep it to the three ingredients of butter, sugar, and flour. Um, But you can also spice it up a little bit if you'd like. And uh, so today I'm going to add a little bit of flavoring. I've tried almond and maple. You could probably try vanilla. Um, And uh, today I'm going to do maple. I really like um, the maple flavoring that it adds to it. And I'm going to also add cinnamon, too. And so I'm going to put a little bit of maple in, a teaspoon of maple. And then I'm also gonna take a teaspoon of cinnamon and put that in. And now I'm gonna mix it up a bit more just to get all the flavors blended together. Okay, so once you've got all your flavors in and everything mixed up like you want, then you can add your flour. Um, Traditionally it would just be, um, well traditionally, originally shortbread was made with oat flour because that's what they had. Um, But then wheat flour was introduced to Scotland and that um, took over the recipe and they used wheat flour after that. Um, I've tried um, traditional um, oat flour and I've tried wheat flour, both just white and whole wheat. Um, And I've tried mixtures of them. Um, My favorite combination, what I usually do, is half white flour and half oat flour. Um, the oat flour gives it a little bit, it makes it a little bit more dense and a little bit more crumbly and adds a, a nice little nutty flavor that I really like. Um, so I like how it changes the texture and the flavor a bit by adding the oat flour. For oat flour, I just take oats and you put them in a blender and just blend them up and it makes a nice flour. So I'm gonna put in, and I've measured out um, about two and a half cups each of oat flour and white flour. And I'm gonna use a bit of that mixed in with the dough, and then the rest I'm gonna use, I'm gonna use most of it mixed in with the dough, and then the rest I'm gonna use as I need it. So I'm gonna take, um, and just put in a little bit at a time. So I'm gonna put in a little bit of um, oat flour first, and then mix that. And once that's mixed in a bit, then I'll add some wheat flour put some wheat flour in and mix that up or white I guess Um, and just keep doing that until it starts to get to the texture you want and after a while it's going to get pretty thick and it's going to be maybe too thick for your um, blender so then or for your mixer sorry so then um, the rest you I usually do with a, a spatula or a spoon or something so then once it starts to get really thick you do that and just keep adding oat flour and white flour, um, and you mix it together. Um, and keep doing that. Um, and then you're gonna knead it at some point. And so you want it, and this is a part I'm not really sure about, but I just always guess a little bit. Um, uh, the the right amount of flour I'm never quite sure on. So I get it usually until it's It's kneadable but still kind of sticky and wet. And then I knead it for a while and I add flour in as I'm kneading it and it starts to get drier. So when you're kneading your flour, um, if you like to entertain yourself at the same time, you can sing um, a song. Um, And this is a song that Lizzie and I adapted from an old bread song um, called I Need You. And it goes like this. I need you when I'm making yummy bread you know I need you when I kick you in the head you know I need you I need you there you go that's about all that we've adapted but it's a fun little song you're welcome to sing it and you don't need to pay me royalties I've mixed up everything and I've got one sheet of cookies in the oven right now. Um, there's, and there's, it, This recipe makes about four dozen, depending on how small you cut things. Right now I cut them so I have 46 actually. Um, and one cookie sheet's in the oven, the other cookie sheet, I'm just poking holes in the cookies right now and then I'll put them in when the other one's done. Um, they cook at a really low temperature, about 325 degrees. And so it takes a while to cook um, it takes about 40 minutes, um, for one batch and you want them to, you don't want them to get very brown, just very lightly browned. Um, but for me, it's usually meant 40 minutes and then I'll often let it go for another five or even 10 minutes and um, just till they just get a little bit of brown in them and they're not very soft. Um, so, um, the shapes of the cookies, I'm doing them. There are three traditional shapes for cookies. There are petticoat tails, um, which for petticoat tails, you form the dough into one large circle and then you cut it. Like you're cutting a pizza into those triangles and those triangles are apparently like, uh, the shape of the fabric they would use to make petticoats. And so they call them petticoat tails, or at least that's one theory for where the name came from. Or you can do traditional round cookies, um, just small rounds. Or you can do fingers. For fingers, you roll the dough out, and then you cut it into rectangles, into small rectangles about an inch wide and three inches long-ish, and you call those fingers. That's what I do. I tend to find the rectangles. The fingers are easier to work with. and, uh, and I just roll out one big sheet and I just cut it up. And I'm not really careful when I cut it up um, to make sure that they're all perfectly uniform in size or shape. Um, and my dough often has ragged edges, so some of the ones from the edges aren't really rectangles. They've got kind of a weird shape to them, but that all tastes the same, so I don't mind too much. Um, uh, the, the history of shortbread It evolved from um, a medieval biscuit bread, um, and eventually they substituted butter for the yeast, and that became shortbread. Um, It may have been made as early as about the 1100s, which is nearly a thousand years ago. Um, The word short in the name comes from an old meaning of the word short, which means crumbly, as opposed to long or stretchy. So this crumbly texture is caused by the high butter content, Um, You might think of the word shortening, which also has short in it and is also a high-fat thing like butter. Um, Then the bread part of the name comes uh, from bakers who they decided to call it bread um, to avoid a tax that was placed on cookies. Um, So it's short bread, even though it's really cookies. Um, So it started somewhere around the 1100s. Um, in about the 1500s, Mary Queen of Scots is credited with um, refining the content. She, she didn't do it, her bakers did it, but they uh, refined the recipe. Um, she particularly was fond of the cookies in the shape of petticoat tails, and that was her favorite way of eating them. So while your um, shortbread is cooking, you can clean up because it always makes a bit of a mess when I do it. Um, For timing, if you're wondering how long it takes, um, I got the ingredients all prepared before I started cooking, and that took maybe 10 minutes to measure everything out. And then actually making it took probably about 20 minutes or so, Um, and then it cooks for about 40 minutes. So it's probably about 30 minutes of prep time and about 40 minutes of cook time per cookie sheet. So, total you might be looking at about two hours of all the cook time, but a lot of that is cook time when you can be doing other things. Okay, I'm about to take the first batch out of the oven, it's been cooking for about 40 minutes. Um, and, uh, and I just checked, and it's looking very light brown around the edges, which is great. That's just how you want it. It's very, very light brown. Um, and so I'm going to pull it out now. It smells very maple and cinnamony. So, this batch, um, it's spread out more than it usually does, probably because I didn't use enough flour um, when I was mixing it in. I'm sure they'll be just fine. They look good and they smell really good. Um, But they did, usually, they hold their shape quite well, and this time they expanded quite a bit. um, Probably because they just didn't have enough flour in there. So now I'm going to put in the second um, tray and set the timer. at the timer for 40 minutes again um, and usually um, usually 40 minutes is about right sometimes i go a little bit longer um, just till, till it starts to just look barely brown um, and they're often pretty soft so i let them cool a little bit on the tray and then put them on a cooling rack as well so you might wonder how you're supposed to use your scottish shortbread of course you eat it you give it to your friends but there are some traditional things as well um in shetland apparently it was common traditionally to break um i guess a loaf of um, of uh, shortbread over the head of the bride as she entered her new home so if you've got someone getting married you can make a big chunk of um, shortbread and break it over her head at her reception or something um, and then but the other way that um, it's often used it's associated with the scottish celebration of Hogmoney. I'm not sure how to say that, um, which is New Year's Eve. And so um, on New Year's Eve, you might know the Scottish people at midnight, they all join hands and they sing Auld Lang Syne um, at midnight. And then after midnight, um, first footing begins. And the first foot tradition is um, who is the first person to cross your threshold? Um, And that is the first foot of the year. And uh, and when you do first footing, you go around to people's houses after midnight, and you cross into their house, and then you give them gifts, and they give you treats, um, and shortbread is often exchanged at that point. So um, on New Year's Eve, which is coming up, you can go awaken awaken your neighbors and friends after midnight and give them shortbread if they're not already awake. Um, don't do that to me though, because we'll be asleep. But first-footing often includes, goes throughout the night and goes into the next day. So you're welcome to come to my house on New Year's Day if you'd like and bring me shortbread. But don't come in the middle of the night. Um, and that's got kind of a shortbread. It's, uh, it's fun to make, it's easy to make. I'm not a baker, I, I make two things. I make shortbread and I make waffles, that's it. I, don't, I really don't know what I'm doing in the kitchen and I'm sure I make lots of mistakes in my shortbread making. Um, but it tastes good and that's what matters.